Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. This is your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Hello, everyone. This is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds. And I'm excited today to welcome Andrew Everston, staff reporter for Breaking Defense covering the Army. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. We're excited to talk to you about your role with Breaking Defense and learn more about you. So I know you also, um, you know, wrote for C4ISRNet. You reported on federal IT for Federal Times and Fifth Domain. So you've been in the space kind of a, a while now, um, a couple in a couple of different roles. Um, can you give us a quick overview of your background, how you got into reporting on these topics, and um, and then we can go from there. Yeah. Um, well, thanks again for having me. Um, so I have been covering or doing journalism professionally, I guess, for almost three years. And yeah, my first job out of college was at Federal Times. Um, but I've known that I wanted to do journalism probably since I was 11 or 12. My parents uh, always had the Arizona Republic newspaper at our kitchen table every morning. And I've would love reading through the sports page. And I think that's probably how I got interested in it. Um, so I went to American University, not too far from here, um, and studied journalism, came to DC, you know, wanting to cover politics. And, um, you know, like, like a lot of people who come to this town, um, but the first job, the job offer that I got out of college, which just opened a ton of doors for me was that job at Federal Times, um, which quickly turned into uh, the military beat at C4ISRNet once COVID hit. And so uh, I'm covering a ton of things that I never dreamt I would cover. I know more about how software works and all these different uh, technical terms that I now sort of understand that I certainly never thought that I would. And so it's kind of crazy to think about, especially uh, coming on podcasts like this to talk about it is when I start to realize how much I have picked up and how much I am able to actually talk about these things that are kind of mind-boggling to wrap my head around. Yeah, I'm sure. And it's interesting that um, you kind of got thrown into that. And then you have you stayed engaged in it? Like what keeps you engaged in, in these topics? I think what keeps me engaged is I'm fascinated in how government works. I think that's one of the things that I was looking for in a job coming out of school was I wanted to stay in DC and I wanted to cover government in some form. And um, I think you learn most about how the government works when you're covering IT acquisition because you realize it's not like a super like sexy thing to cover or to write mm -hmm. about, but that's billions and billions and billions of dollars of, of taxpayer money that they put into it every year. And so what really keeps me engaged is kind of motivating me is this is, you know, the government is spending billions of taxpayer dollars on this stuff. And a lot of it is decades old. Uh, so I think trying to shed a light on that is something that gets, mm -hmm. gets fed in the morning. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, and then tell us about your role at Breaking Defense, um, sort of how you approach covering this beat. Yeah, that's interesting. So 
Um, so I cover the army now for breaking defense. I've been doing that for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I largely cover, I moved away um, somewhat from the software IT stuff that I covered at C4 ISRNet, and I cover more focused on um, major like war vehicles, war fighting systems, like uh, platforms, vehicles, helicopters. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, all of that has to connect uh, to a network. Um, so there's certainly still a, a network aspect to it. And I think I've really found uh, my background at from, from C4 to be super helpful in understanding um, that, you know, you can have this new helicopter, you can have this new ground vehicle, but they need to be equipped with systems that can actually talk to each other, but they're made by different contractors uh, in different parts of the country. Uh, so I think kind of what I try and do is cut through some of that stuff um, and just, I think, point out that, hey, like they're spending millions on this on this platform, but it still needs to be able to connect to this this platform over there. Mm-hmm. And those are things that, you know, in our everyday life, you don't always think about that, right? <laughs> when it comes to the army, mm-hmm. how things are connected and utilized. Yeah. I and mean, I think about it's, it's not dissimilar from how your phone connects to your car. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I had a really difficult time yesterday night trying to get my phone to connect to my car. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh-huh. Imagine trying to get you know, something flying at 30,000 feet to connect to something at sea level. Right. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Um, and then how do you define your audience when writing about these topics? Um, that's interesting, especially in the trade space, because uh, you definitely have some uh, general audience, like sometimes stories will get picked up on Reddit, but mm-hmm. primarily, like I define my audience as program managers, um, industry officials looking to see where uh, acquisition is headed and what the government is looking to do in the future. Um, And then sort of just other people, other people in the Pentagon that have an interest in in what I'm writing about. And then even oversight people in Congress. Um, So it's a, it's a weird mix and it kind of, you kind of have to tailor your writing in a way that shows respect for the program managers and the more technical defense people who understand what you're writing about while also explaining some of the major buzzwords in a way that a general audience can understand and kind of strike. Yeah, that must be cha- that must be challenging to some extent, right? Like all the different acronyms and buzzwords that um, you know, army and, and technology and government technology uses these days. Oh yeah, it's difficult, uh, especially <laughs> <laughs> it can be it can be really frustrating um but you know i mean you have you have to do it uh and it helps it helps me get a better sense of it forces me to have a better understanding of what mm-hmm. it is that i'm covering absolutely so what is one of what or what was one of your favorite or most memorable stories that you've written and it can be in any of the publications you've worked at, something that really stands out as a, an interesting article, maybe. Yeah, the, the story I'm most proud of um, comes from my old job at C4ISRNet. I wrote about, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with Katie Arrington, um, who ran the CMMC program. Mm-hmm. For 
Um, I wrote a very long profile of her um, with Mike Roos, who who used to, or who came on this podcast yeah. years ago. Um, we probably worked on like 10, 10 or 11 drafts of this story over the course of a month. Uh, it was just a ton of work. So um, yeah, Katie Arrington has a really fascinating background. She just announced that she's running for Congress again, but she ran for Congress in 2018, ended up losing. Um, and she just kind of a, a fascinating character given her background. And so um, mm. my first week, my first week at Federal Times, actually, I went to an event that she was speaking at. And uh, given my my previous interest in politics, I knew who she was from her political background. And I was like, what on earth is she she doing here in a, in a <laughs> Pentagon job? Uh, so I wanted to write the that profile for about a year before I actually got started on it. Um, and it just, it was just a ton of fun to work on. Oh, wow. That does sound interesting. Um, yeah, we'll definitely have to share a, a link to that when uh, this episode airs, so everyone can take a look. Yeah. Yeah. I'll shoot you the link. Great. And, um, you know, as you're writing stories, what do you look for when it comes to resources and how do you get you know, the right resources for your stories? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think I primarily am looking for industry people who, when I'm, when I'm looking for like subject matter experts, particularly around IT or, or cyber stuff, my old mm-hmm. job is industry people who have interesting government backgrounds who speak in English and not, <laughs> not the technical, um, the technical terms and phrases that I will never be able to translate to my audience. Um, so, uh, but I'm, I'm really interested in people who have that bureaucratic government background because it's, it's nice to be able to write these explainer pieces on complicated things uh, mm-hmm. that you can kind of take the reader into how, how the government functions and why such decision is made or why this software or that software um, is a better decision than doing something different. And here's why. So people with the familiarity um, with the systems, and it doesn't have to be just um, people with government backgrounds either. Obviously when you have uh, IT contractors, federal contractors in any capacity who have been doing it for years and years or decades on decades, they also start to learn that or Mm -hmm. start to garner that, that institutional knowledge too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure you know covering um, this space for three years or so now. Yeah, I'm sure you've built up a good bunch of resources to go to for some of these topics. Yeah, definitely, and it it's not always easy to find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to find, um, you know, some people are they're not necessarily they don't love talking to press. Um, right. When you do when you do find the people that are most helpful, it's really easy to go back to them over and over and over again. So I think one of the hard things, especially in the IT space, is finding a more wide, uh, diverse array of sources. Um, just because, I mean, it is, it's pretty, it's a pretty niche area, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, in your three years of covering um, this space, how have you seen government technology as a whole evolve or, or has it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this question, I kind of made it, I, it, I, I chuckled when I first saw it because my cynical, 
as I have it. Um, it, it kind of, sometimes it feels like I'm covering the same mm -hmm. stuff that I covered three years ago and it hasn't changed at all. But I think, you know, that's just kind of how the government bureaucracy uh, moves. But at the same time, COVID happened uh, and that opened doors to remote work. So I would say my actual answer is collaboration tools uh, mm -hmm. and just how widespread those um, have become and are probably going to continue to become. Uh, you know, you saw at the beginning of COVID, the Pentagon rapidly tried to, or rapidly and successfully stood up a Teams environment to like over 1 million users. And while that took several iterations, they still did it. What something that would probably take two to three years took six weeks, two months. Um, and then they iterated on, on that capability, two buzzwords right there for you. Um, and something permanent. Um, so I think that's how I would I would say government technology has evolved over the last two years. Um, mm -hmm. It's just collaboration tools and realizing that all of this work can be done remotely, but obviously that comes with cybersecurity constraints and um, bandwidth constraints. Mm -hmm. So it kind of opens the doors um, to all kinds of other ways that government technology will have to evolve. That's true. That's a good point. It's almost like everybody and the government was forced to, to um, you know, adapt to that remote workforce. And then it does bring about many other issues that they're going to have to address and continue to address as time goes on. Um, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, I think you primarily see that in cybersecurity. Probably the most obvious one is how do you secure someone's personal laptop when they're logging into um, the government's networks. Right. So that uh, gets into zero trust. And, um, you know, that's something that will develop over the next few months and years. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we hear zero trust all the time now, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Another buzzword. Uh -huh. Absolutely. And then what are some of the things that you are or the topics that you're currently, you know, looking to cover or that you kind of see? Um, yourself covering here in the next couple of months or so? Um, so I would say, so the army is working on their, their future warfighting concept is called multi-domain operations, which is being able to fight across the different warfighting domains, um, land, sea, air, space, cyber. Um, and how do you do all of these operations across those five domains and connect systems that are previously disconnected um, that are also, you know, some one might be 30 years old, another one might be two years old. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you make sure that those are all interconnected? And it's all part of this broader Pentagon effort called Join All Domain Command and Control. Um, mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a huge part of what I'm covering now is how are all of these systems, I guess back to our conversation earlier, how all these systems are connected and um, how are they, you only have so much bandwidth on the battlefield. So how do you decide if you're sharing live videos or mm -hmm. still pictures because you know, you only have so much bandwidth and you need to, there are things that have to get through um, back to say the forward edge of the battlefield and back, back to a, 
um, I don't know, a four-star headquarters. Um, but there's also things that don't. And so, you know, using artificial intelligence and automation and sort of ciphering through all of that data and deciding what needs to get through and what doesn't need to get through. And then making sure that the network is actually resilient because, you know, electronic warfare and, and jamming will mm-hmm. tape down networks. Um, so it's kind of the, the melding of all of that that I'm interested in um, currently. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's just wildly, wildly complex and really hard really hard to do in industry. Um, like, I mean, the, the military can't do it on its own. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like it. And that, yeah, that sounds super complex. So um, definitely will be interested in reading some of your coverage on, on those topics. Um, yeah. 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 And, and then, you know, from a journalism perspective, I'm sure you um, learn about it and talk to so many different um, vendors, solution providers who are working with the government, providing you know these technologies in such a crowded and noisy space. From your perspective, how should companies set themselves apart? Um, I think that's you're right. It, I mean, it's such a crowded, noisy space, um, and so that's almost a difficult question to to answer. But I would say that what's easiest from my perspective is companies being able to specifically distinguish themselves from other, from, from their competitors, be able to come to me and say, you know, here's why my counter drone solution is better. Here's what's, here's the specific capability that it will provide. Be able to tell me that in a way that's easy to understand, <laughs> which is no small feat, but mm-hmm. um, it's it's a critical part, I would say, in in messaging, um, is being able to say in relatively basic terms why yours is better um, than somebody else's. Um, and I use counter drones because uh, it's the next. Well, it's not the next big thing. It is the the new big thing. Is you know the the chief of staff of the army is calling it the, the next IED, mm-hmm. um, and the Congress just gave the army like four hundred million dollars more than they asked for oh, wow. um, in counter drones. So, um, yeah, I think just being able to to distinguish why your offering is different. I think, and you know, that's another one with with software and cloud computing is okay. How is your cloud environment different than right. your competitors? And um, yeah, but you know, that gets to, we have a better, higher level of cybersecurity, um, more, I don't know, more processing power. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And, but I think the important part is, is being able to lay it out for reporters in terms that are simple to understand because we're not technical experts. Mm-hmm. Now that makes sense. I like the idea of really highlighting those differentiators um, when presenting it to, to a reporter or to, to really any kind of audience. And that's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so we did get a couple of listener questions I want to jump into here for the last few minutes. Um, I'm going to start with a fun one. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite celebrity named Andrew? <laughs> so I, oh boy. Celebrity named Andrew. Um, I'm gonna have to take a cop out on this one because I'm not that um, 
fluent in pop culture, um, sure. which is totally lame, isn't it? But I'll, no, uh, I'll have to go with with Andy Dwyer from Parks and Recreation. Not okay. Not a um, you know Chris Pratt plays him. Not an Andrew, but he's an Andrew on the show. Um, okay. But he's hilarious, um, and it's a it's a really fun show. So I would have to go with with Andy Dwyer. I love that answer that we totally accepted that answer of a character. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> um, and then kind of going on some of the discussion we had earlier and how sometimes it feels like the industry is not evolving after all. This question is, can you hear the words Jedi cloud contract without screaming both audibly <laughs> internally? <laughs> oh man. So I loved covering Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, but the answer to your question is no, I can't hear those words without screaming audibly and internally. <laughs> that was just, that was so, so much drama. And um, honestly, it kind of reminds me of watching The Bachelor uh, with that contract. Cause you know, everybody on The Bachelor, all the pe- everyone watching The Bachelor has a contestant that they think is going to win. And then they're shocked by who actually wins. And then- <laughs> And then there's, you know, a tell-all at the end of the show. And I think the tell-all in this case is like the extended or is, is the years that we had of, of court cases following up on that mm-hmm. contract award. So I think it's it was kind of like The Bachelor and the, and the drama was um, top notch. Um, but it was also, you know, it was a it was a major story for for several years. And it was, um, you know, now there's a, a different version of it, but it's still, it doesn't make the Pentagon's need for um, a cloud computing capability of that size uh, any less. I, I mm-hmm. think they probably need more than they did when Jedi started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, several years ago, we had a, a panel of reporters on the podcast talking about the Jedi contract and contract and how dramatic and just um, what a roller coaster that, that it was. Um, so definitely an interesting thing to follow. Yeah. I started working at federal times in the middle of, in the middle of Jedi. So I had a lot Mm -hmm. of catching up to do when I, when I first started and it was, it was, uh, I mean, just years and years in the making. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then what are you interested in outside of work? Maybe something that our listeners wouldn't know about you, um, that you can share. Um, I am a huge soccer fan. I mm-hmm. love watching, uh, getting my cup of coffee on Saturday morning, Sunday morning, and sitting on the couch for a couple of hours and watch, uh, English premier league soccer or, um, La Liga soccer in Spain mm-hmm. or, you know, Italy, Germany, wherever, whoever's having the most or whoever having the best matches, uh, that weekend. I'm a huge, uh, Chelsea fan there in the, okay of a of a big sale um that I think might actually be decided today so we'll see how that goes but um yeah I love soccer um I do some cycling uh okay. on weekends um and I love uh in in July I love watching the Tour de France so oh. I guess I kind of like like niche sports um, uh-huh maybe niche in America, I guess soccer is an international uh, sport, but yeah, I love, I love watching the tour de France. It's like competitive sightseeing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Nice to see from my couch. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is cool. That is a little bit of a niche sport. Um, and when you're talking about soccer, it reminded me of um, the show Ted Lasso. Where, did you watch that? <laughs> yeah, I watched the first season. Uh, yeah. I haven't watched. I watched the first season with my parents over Christmas a while ago. Uh-huh. But I haven't watched the second season, but I do hear that it's pretty good. Yeah, same. I haven't watched the second one either, but um, that's uh, definitely a really popular show. And it just uh, reminded me when you're talking about soccer, because I wasn't very familiar with a lot of the sport and it kind of got me interested in it a little bit more myself. <laughs> oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Good evangelist for soccer. Absolutely. <laughs> definitely well great Andrew this has been a really great getting to know you more and um understanding your B and coverage areas so thank you so much for coming on the podcast to speak with us today really appreciate it yeah thank you so much for having me this was great absolutely well everyone thanks so much for listening this has been Christine Blake with Inside the Media Minds thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found. 